Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com, and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365, for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness, and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Well, you know how we love to talk about food here. It's one of our favorite, favorite things. If you can incorporate food and music, it does not get any better than that. Modernist Cuisine was a publishing phenomenon. The authors are back with a new collection called Modernist Bread, four years in the making. It's one of the most anticipated releases for foodies, as some people have been waitlisted for this book to come out over a year. But wait no more, because it's out now. Modernist Bread's out now. It's available. And I have the co-author and chief researcher of this monumental project. Remember, I said four years in the making. And he's with us today, Francisco Magoya. So thank you, Francisco, for coming on. Thank you. So four years in the making. How did this even come as as, as a conceptual (laughs) idea to where it is today that that we could actually buy? Uh, Well, you know, we didn't really set out to do the, you know, the book is five volumes. Um, That wasn't the original intent. Uh, The original intent, I think, was supposed to be two volumes. Um, In fact, when I interviewed with Nathan Mirville, the founder and uh, I guess the 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 head of the cooking lab here at Modernist Cuisine, uh, he, you know, we're having this conversation about this book before I got hired, and in my mind, I'm thinking there's no way we're going to write more than one volume. I mean, bread has four ingredients exactly. You know, if you add like, I don't know, uh, walnuts and whatnot, that you know, sure it has a couple more ingredients, but essentially this is something that is a very simple food. It's four ingredients. There's no way we're writing more than one volume. And then, lo and behold, you know, four years later, we we wrote five volumes, and we actually had to cut uh, some recipes out to make. Otherwise, it was going to be six volumes. You know, we could have just kept going and going and going. So, um, and so there was a point where, you know, we, you know, after four years of working on this, that, you know, there, there is a point where we have to stop, and otherwise, you just could keep going forever and ever. So the. The decision was made this past uh, spring that, you know, we were just going to stop at five volumes and to make sure that whatever we did it fit in five volumes. So, again, we had to cut some stuff out to just keep it at the at the five volumes, you know, it's 2,642 pages, um, 1,200 recipes, uh, you know, you name it. There's no shortage of information, but it could have been bigger, you know. Well, both of you are very seasoned professional chefs. Uh, You were a professor at the Culinary Institute of America. You worked at the French Laundry. I mean, that's on everybody's bucket Mm -hmm. list, the French Laundry. Did Mm -hmm. you think you knew everything there was to know about bread already? And then were you surprised by this journey? (laughs) No, I knew that we were going to – this was going to be a big learning experience because just looking at Modernist Cuisine, our first book – um, I'm sure that you know what was in that book. It's not like the you know Nathan and the original authors Chris Young uh, and Maxime Boulay knew all of this stuff beforehand. I think a lot of it was discovered as they went. Um, we did learn as we went based on a bunch of experiments we did and just testing, testing, testing. Um, 
is is how we we got to learn as much as we did about bread. Um, so to answer your question, no, we didn't know everything that is in the book beforehand. We did learn a lot as we went. Bread is so universal. It's one of those things that, in in some shape or form, every human has had an experience with bread on on this planet. And so mm-hmm. there's, I, I can see where there'd be so much to learn because everybody brings something unique from wherever they are. And and mm-hmm. bread goes all the way. They talk about bread in the Bible. I mean, bread has sure. been around for so long. It's around today. It's around throughout the, the, the world. And was that one of the appeals to researching bread? Was it was something that everybody could connect with? Yeah, I mean, the history of mankind goes hand in hand with the history of bread. Um, if we, And it's because of that that there's just so much folklore and mythology attached to so many things that are done to bread. Uh, you know, from, uh, you know, the, the age, how old a, a sourdough starter is to, um, you know, different things that almost seem like ritualistic. Um, because it, it's, you know, it's human folly is so, so intertwined with how bread is made because it's a living organism. Uh, there was not until too long ago, we didn't really know what was going on. Like, why was this dough expanding? What, you know, there's things in there that were unexplainable until Louis Pasteur discovered yeast. Um, and so once we understood that yeast was responsible for this, then we were able to harness it uh, and control it a little bit more. But still to this day, there are, there were so many things about bread that were misunderstood uh, or not understood properly. And, you know, but that was part of our task was to kind of, I guess, uh, clean out the cobwebs from that and, and give people a solid scientific explanation for things that, you know, it merits it because there is, there is you will make better bread if you understand it better, more clearly from that scientific perspective. But now, I mean, our language in the book is not a language of science. It's a language that non-scientists speak. Um, But it doesn't mean that we dumbed it down either. So our job was to get all of this, like, really dense scientific information and translate it in a way that everybody would understand Um, and everybody can make use of, right? I mean, because our book is not just for professional bakers, or in fact, our, our larger audiences, um, home bakers and just people who are fans of food and, and want to make a loaf of bread, or even people who don't want to make a loaf of bread but are interested in knowing about bread. So uh, that was that was one of the most important tasks when, when we first got this book started, is to, to have that understanding of what the book was going to be for. Do you think bread has gotten a bad rap the last few years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it, it's, you know, there's there's so many things that happen because, you know, you know, uh, journalist X needs to, you know, has a deadline for an article. And so, you know, they find something about gluten and, you know, then it's this like domino effect of like that gluten is bad for you. To a point where it's everywhere. It's in every magazine. It's in every publication and every you know form of newsprint and TV and so on. That gluten is the enemy. It's what's making you sick and what's making you fat. Um, and so people started to be afraid of it. And, you know, and in fact, so many people became afraid of it that um, there was a decline in consumption of bread and just bread-like products or carbohydrates like pasta, etc., because people wanted to avoid it. But if you asked 
the average person, if they knew what gluten was, uh, they would probably tell you they had no idea, but that it was in bread and that they should just not eat bread. And so we did a, uh, a snapshot of uh, Google searches for bread between um, – not bread necessarily, but uh, uh, gluten intolerance and celiac disease between 2003 and 2015. And uh, interestingly, celiac, is, that's a real disease. That's something that, that really does happen to a very small uh, part of the population, but it does occur. Uh, the Google searches between that period of time are maintained pretty much the same. Uh, it didn't go up or down. It just kind of had this like plateau. But Google searches for gluten intolerance like skyrocketed ever since 2003, um, and at around 2013 or so, they kind of reached their peak, and now it's starting to go down again. Which means that people are probably maybe not as afraid of gluten now as they used to be because they're a little bit better informed. Um, and so that is, you know, we're 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 trying to explain to people that uh, why bread can be, um, you know, an enjoyable <laughs> experience that is not bad for you unless you actually do have celiac disease. Well, and I think <coughs> Pardon me. everybody really loves bread. I mean, you know, it's just one of those mm-hmm. things that are really, I mean, I think even Oprah commented on her Weight Watchers that the one mm-hmm. thing she couldn't give up was, was bread. There's nothing better than the smell of baking bread. I mean, they should put that in a right. candle or something. I don't know, but there is just <laughs> nothing, nothing better. And it seems personally, I've seen kind of more a re- of people wanting to bake bread and sharing recipes and talking about mm-hmm. bread. Uh, just in my individual circle, uh, my, my sister-in-law last year got a bread machine. She'd never made bread, so she started with a bread machine, mm-hmm. and then she started mm-hmm. making bread, and then she became that person who brought rolls and stuff like that to family oh, events. Awesome. And now she's mm-hmm. expanded, and now she's she doesn't even use the bread machine anymore, but uh, uh-huh. it got everybody excited about her making bread. And it's such a generous thing to do for people right. when you bake for them or, or, or cook for them. It, it's, it's really the, such a wonderful form of generosity that you could do from one person to another. Right. I mean, it, and I think that part of it is because bread is cheap and you can buy bread, even good bread anywhere and bring it to a dinner party. Uh, but it makes it extra special if you made it. I mean, if it came from your hands, it came from your kitchen. Um, I mean, there's it's probably going to be the star of the show because very few people actually bother to go through the whole process. It's time consuming, right? Bread is bread is cheap. I mean, the ingredients are cheap, but what is really expensive about it is, is the time you have to put into it. So it's a very special thing to do for other people, and it it does speak of great hospitality, and just warmth, uh, you know, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Have you been um, surprised at all by the reception that that this volume has received? Because everybody's talking about it. Martha Stewart Living rated Modernist Bread one of their their best cookbooks for 2017. I know Anthony Bourdain was out on his show, Parts sure. Unknown, and, and came and talked mm-hmm. with you guys, and, and, and he learned a lot. And that was a really exciting show, especially for people here in Seattle. But I've talked sure. to so many people outside Seattle who loved that um, episode. And have, have you been surprised by, by the reception, not only from just lay people like myself, but people within mm-hmm. the industry? Yeah, I mean, the, it's we never know what to expect. You know, when when we put uh, our books out there, if if they're going to be well received or not, we hope they will be. Um, 
I, I I guess I will be surprised because I'm a pessimist, <laughs> and so I, anything anything above uh, that level of pessimism is is a good thing. Uh, so I've I've been very happy to see um, that it has had a good reception, and that you know there's like somebody started a like a Facebook page called Modern Spread Bakers, um, and it's a group of people that bake recipes from uh, from the book and they share their insights and their pictures and they show off sometimes they don't work very well and so they troubleshoot them with the other people and so it's it's like creating this community of people who are very excited to make bread and so we're we're thrilled that it, it's had that like positive impact because that was our goal is what uh, we always set out to to do is not to be um you know create any sort of of, of you know negative aura around baking bread all quite the contrary we wanted to make sure that it was a very positive uh, uh, effect on, you know, people and people who wanted to make bread and, and getting people excited and, you know, really giving people recipes that were just tested um, very in-depth so that they would work for, you know, many different kinds of people. And so that was that was our main objective was to, to, to do that. And, you know, it, I think it's paying off with with the, the great reception it has had. And, you know, I can't tell you how happy it makes me that that, that actually is the case. Absolutely. I mean, everybody's talking about it. There's so much buzz around what's happening with with this collection. One of the things that I had found very interesting was in your research, you had found a technique of canning bread, so to speak. And that was something Mm -hmm. I had never seen before. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and, and, and what that actually was. And then if if you see any commercial use for that, um, mm-hmm. or, or how that could be, you know, maybe used worldwide, or or maybe to help people who who don't have access, maybe to right. to mm-hmm. bread on a daily basis. Yeah, so it was almost accidental the way we uh, came across it because I had seen uh, this Italian baker who made he baked panettones in a jar. And I mean, it's an Italian. I mean, I speak Spanish, but not Italian, so I could understand a little bit of what was being said on the on the website. Um, I'm, I I guess I misunderstood the way he was doing it because my understanding is that he put the panettone in the jar, let it you know proof in there, put a lid on it with you know the seal and and so on and so forth, and he baked it with a lid on, and that was my understanding. And that was incorrect. He actually baked it without a lid. Um, and put the lid on as it came out of the oven to cool off. So because of that error in understanding of the technique, we were able to actually create a vacuum inside the jar because we baked it with the lid on. Uh, and so by creating a vacuum, there's there's a few things that happen. First and foremost is that uh, you're creating an, an environment that is um, not hospitable to, to bacteria and uh, spores. Um, and so it preserves the bread. Uh, but furthermore, what it also did is, uh, because it, it's in a vacuum, and in a vacuum nothing can really move, uh, what it did for the bread is what is that it prevented staling. And you know, in a nutshell, staling, what it means is that the water moves from the starch in the flour out, um, and so that migration didn't occur because of the vacuum uh, that was within the jar. And so. The the purpose of of doing this is to preserve bread, of course. Um, it um, it extends the life of the bread. Uh, you know, to commercialize it, you would need to have um, 
basically you'd be able to you would have to buy a large amount of jars simply because it is in this case the jar is more expensive than the bread which is kind of ridiculous right that you have the the vessel the container costs more than what it contains um but we found a, a rather uh, economical um jar that uh while not cheaper than than the bread itself was reasonable enough to for somebody to to pay it was like 75 cents or so um so I think it could have that commercialization potential, but as you said, it's for preserving or, or for you know utilizing in like disaster areas or using in places where food is scarce or uh, so on and so forth. Uh, it's a way of keeping bread for a long period of time um, and having easy access to it without having an oven, without having you know other foods that might spoil. Uh, it would have that sort of uh, of of um, characteristic, um, if somebody would, you know, want to, to pursue that, um, that sort of path. So, but, you know, on, on the flip side, on the more, uh, I guess, um, on the lighter, lighter side of things, it, it makes a wonderful gift too. If you give somebody a panettone in a jar, um, it's a special gift and it's something that they don't need to eat right away. They can eat it, you know, six, nine months later and it's still fine. Um, and so it makes great gifts as well. And so there, there's a lot of potential for many different aspects um, to bread in a jar. Uh, we baked ours in an oven, but we also baked it in a pressure cooker. We baked them in these instant pots that are now becoming very popular. And it, it actually, it's an amazing piece of equipment to do that. Um, so there's, there's many different ways to, to, to bake this bread. That's why it's so fascinating. That that's just one aspect of one, you know, one of the little things that that you found along the way, and why this five volume set, like you said, really could have been six. Let's talk about the mm -hmm. five volumes. W one thing that really stood out to me: you use water resistant paper. So that tells me you want people mm -hmm. to pull these books out, and you want them to use them. You want them to be in the kitchen. You want them to be touching them. You want them to be getting flour on uh -huh. them. Um, you you incorporated everything that you could think of for not only the beginning baker, but all the way up to, you know, a, a professional chef that, that they would want uh -huh. in the, in these volumes. So if we can kind of go through those real quick, uh, it's just, it's, there's, there's so much information. We'll never be able to, to grasp it all here on the show, but it's, it is mm -hmm. really just amazing that there's that much information. And then we'll talk about mm -hmm. that you're going to be at the book lotter on the 26th, and you're going to be answering questions right. and, and, and talking about this too. But uh, if, if, if we can just talk about these five volumes real quick, because it's just, it really is just so yeah. fascinating. Uh, so the idea was to have a natural progression of information. So uh, the first volume is History and Fundamentals, so it's where it all started, where it all came from, where it all began. Uh, it's it's path through uh, the history of mankind. Uh, our second volume is um, Ingredients, so it's a it's a massive volume on the you know not just the basic ingredients that uh, bread is made up of, which is water. I mean, obviously flour, water, salt, yeast, but other ingredients that also affect dough um dough texture like fats eggs um etc so it was and also in this in this uh chapter we talk about uh um not just ingredients but but basically how they interact with each other 
Um, our volume three is techniques and equipment, so it's basically everything you need to know on how to make bread and then and how to make it, what to use to make it. So, you know, in there we go through all the steps of making bread from beginning to end for all different kinds of bread, uh, but also what you're going to use to mix it in, proof it, and bake it, and even store it. Um, and then volumes four and five are the recipe volumes. Um, so as we have a total of 1,200 recipes, and then we have... Uh, what is called a kitchen manual, which is that um, what you were talking about. Our kitchen manual is made, uh, the paper is water resistant. So you don't have to bring your beautiful books into the kitchen. Um, and then you just bring the manual and it has all the recipes in it. If you need to consult anything in the book, well, you can go back and forth. But in reality, if you wanted to just execute a recipe, you can bring the portable uh, recipe volume with you. And if any water or oil splashes on it, you can wa you can wipe it right off. So a lot of people ask if they could just buy the manual, and unfortunately not. <laughs> well, you've really thought of everything, and it's in this beautiful stainless steel case. I mean, it's it's just very – I mean, it's it's really just a masterpiece of, of work. It's, it's a piece of art, but an art that you want mm -hmm. people to use and interact with. And you're going to be on the 26th at the Book Lauder here in Seattle. Uh, if people don't Correct. know, uh, it's 4252 Fremont Avenue North in Seattle. It's from 6 to or 6:30 to 8, and tickets mm -hmm. are available now. And you're going to be there. I think there's going to be bread samples. Is is that right? And you're going yes. to be able to interact with with people on that. Yes, we're going to provide a. Um, one of the samples of our um, of a bread that I like tremendously, which is it's a Mexican influence uh, bread in which it's a sourdough that we we mix. Um, it's called huitlacoche, which is in English is called it's it's a corn fungus basically. Um, it's a it's a fungus that grows on corn. In the U.S., usually farmers get rid of it, but in Mexico it's, it's a delicacy. Um, and it's like a really deep black color, and it's just the flavor is just very earthy and, and mushroomy and delicious. And we mix that into our sourdough, and it's very dramatic too because it makes the sourdough black in color, naturally though. Um, and we're going to serve it with a mole butter, which is a mole we make here from scratch, and we mix it with butter, sprinkle it on top with some um, sunflower seeds, uh, poppy seed. I mean, nuts, not poppy seeds. Uh, Sesame seeds, sunflower seeds, and pumpkin seeds, and a little bit of salt. And it's like one of my favorite uh, compositions of bread and butter ever. Uh, so that's the sample we'll, we'll, be, we'll be handing out. And I we'll am, be talking uh, about the bread, of course, the, the book, of course. Oh, I love butter. And I, I think you could do a whole other five volumes on, on butter. Uh, <laughs> but sure, you, Absolutely. You do have to have a ticket to this event, and you can go to booklauder.com, and you can get a ticket. Mm -hmm. They start at $20, but um, you're going to be there. You're going to be – and then the, the tickets go up depending on if you want a book. But but if you don't want to buy the volume, you can still go. There's mm -hmm. limited amount of tickets right. to be able to come in and, and, and sit and listen to Francisco talk about this. And so for those who do have the book or are interested, they can – follow up, maybe find this Facebook page. Did you say it was called Modernist Bread uh, Facebook page or? Yeah, it's Modernist Bread Bakers. You know, those, bakers, it's, okay. It's, it's, it's baking enthusiasts who started the page and they, you know, we have nothing to do with it, but, right. um, it, you know, it's it's, it's a group of, of, of people who are cooking from the book, or I'm sorry, baking for the book rather, 
um, it's interesting to see uh, the results, and and it's it's a really great community of of very friendly people. So, yeah, so it's, well, they do a good job. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't like bakers? I mean, that, that, those are the greatest. Right. You want to be friends with <laughs> bakers, right? I mean, <laughs> sure, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you you can never have enough baking friends. But so modernist bread is out now, so it's available now. I, I looked it up. It was on. You could get it on Amazon. You could get it at your. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll be able to get it at the book lotter for sure. I'm, it's sold. I'm sure wherever books are sold. And then on the 26. Uh, Francisco will will be there to answer any questions that any of you might have about this. So it's just really, I mean, who knew there was so much to know about bread unless you're in that industry, but it's just very, just a a fantastic topic. We didn't four years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and I think it's going to be a really fun event on the 26th and I just really appreciate I, I know how busy you are that that you took a moment to come on and and share some of this with us today no problem it's my pleasure all right the book is called modernist bread and it's available now we'll be back in just a moment People dying everywhere, no one seems to care. We walk right by the sense of dies and deny like nothing's there. Life's only me, myself, and I. We'd only take our hands off and covered eyes. Our, our hearts are stone, might start to cry. It's not in my backyard. Love just look away. You can't let down your guard. You better play it safe. I fall into someone else's bad day. Sorry, I can't stay. It's not in my backyard. No, 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 no. Just got the news she was only too a precious life. Won't get kissed tonight. I guess you win some, some you lose. Smiles dramatically, pauses a while, and moves on to the next story just for you. Tell me again, what would Jesus do? In fact, what would you do? It's not in my backyard, so I just look away. Can't let down your guard, better play and safe. Or you might fall into someone else's bad day. Sorry, I can't. Not in my backyard, no. Living the dream while Africa screams, we bow and kneel and pray and say, God, bless the USA, let freedom reign. Forty million dead while we sleep in our beds, eight thousand a day we let pass away as death runs through their veins. Not in my backyard, so I just look away. You can't let down your gun, you better play at the safe. You might fall into someone else's bad day. Sorry, I can't stay. No. 
down in my backyard him for sending that over for us to enjoy called not in my backyard and once again i want to thank the co-author of modernist bread and chief researcher francisco magoya for joining us and giving us a little bit of his time today i know he's very busy over there at the lab modernist bread is available now wherever books are sold check it out and we will catch you here be kind of one another we'll talk to you guys later bye-bye